Please join me and each other in prayer. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we have sung songs of adoration to you this morning. It is indeed right to give you thanks and praise. We've confessed our sins and been assured of your forgiveness. We are, in Christ Jesus, fully forgiven. What a glorious reality. Your goodness is beyond our understanding. Help us to love you and one another more. As we bring others before you in prayer this morning, help us to pray with faith, to believe in your power and your goodness. We pray for Bill and Cindy Hay. Thank you that Bill could be discharged from the hospital on Friday. We pray that you keep him strong against the COVID virus and protect Cindy from getting it. Help him regain physical strength and strengthen his spirit. We pray for Steve and Kim Kilgore as they grieve the loss of Steve's sweet mother. We continue to pray for Danny and Beth Smith after the loss of Danny's father. We lift up Tyrone and Charita Perry and the loss of their daughter. Give all these brothers and sisters peace and the healing that only you can provide. We pray for our missionaries, Brad and Jamie Newport, serving in Greece. Draw them close to you and to each other as they serve King Jesus. Cause your gospel to run with power unto salvation among the people there. We continue to pray for us, the whole Covenant Press family, as we gather, grow, and go as your servants into all things. Give us wisdom. Give us great love for one another. Give us great joy in serving together King Jesus. We pray that you would tune our hearts and our minds into the sermon this morning as Robbie preaches to us. We bring all this to you, all these requests to you, in the glorious name of Jesus. I'm so thankful to hear an announcement that we have this new class for college students next Sunday and a lunch for them, but I'm disturbed by one part of the announcement that said next Sunday is February 5th. How in the world are we already at the end of January? Uh, this is the last Sunday in January, so January's lasted a good five or six minutes. And I wonder here at the end of January, I wonder about the status of your New Year's resolutions. I stopped making resolutions because I don't enjoy failure. Um, but I just wonder, since it's still the last Sunday of the first month of the year, if we could just think about how we end years and begin years one more time, typically... Uh, we set goals for ourselves. Uh, some of you own businesses. Uh, there's a spider on the, gotcha. <laughs> All right. Um, it was a small spider. Okay. Uh, uh, I'm sure some of you own your own business, the, decided the year of 2023 would be a year of mediocre business. Probably Did you do that. Uh, a lot of us are married. We decided we'd be mediocre spouses this year. Uh, anyone make that, that, that your resolution or your goal? No, no, no. When we, when we set goals for ourselves, we, we want to do better than the year before. 
when we set goals for ourselves, we want to excel and we want to be great and to do great. And there's nothing wrong with that kind of ambition to want to do great. Today in the passage, Jesus is going to make it very clear how to be first in the kingdom of God, how to excel in the kingdom that he inaugurated and that is going to come in fullness, how to be first, how to be great in God's kingdom. Would you please read the passage with me? This is from the gospel of Mark, the ninth chapter. Please read along with me. It's in your Bible in verse 30 through 37, but it's also on page 14 of your worship guide. The first phrase is they went on from there. They've been on the mountain of transfiguration, three of the disciples with Jesus and his real, true, eternal glory burst through. So Peter, James, and John saw who Jesus really is. He's the eternal, glorious son who's worthy of worship and obedience. They even heard the father's voice say, this is my son, my beloved son, listen to him. Then they came down the mountain and there was a boy who was been, been thrown around. He was controlled by a spirit that threw him into something like epileptic seizures and no one could heal him, not even Jesus' disciples, but Jesus did it. And coming out of those scenes, we get to Mark 9, 30. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he, Jesus, did not want anyone to know for he was teaching his disciples saying to them, The son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest And he sat down and called the 12. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. All flesh is like grass and all its glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, magnify your glory in our presence through the scriptures read and preached. Help us see Jesus in all the glory that he deserves and reorder our hearts according to your good ways rescuing us from ourselves in Jesus name. Amen. Today in these, this brief passage, I want to show you three things about Jesus that you can trust. Three things about Jesus, three things about disciples that were true then that are true now. And then the one lesson, the one clear lesson Jesus has for those who want to be faithful disciples, along with one illustration that Jesus himself supplies at the end. So three things about Jesus that were true then and are true now, three things about disciples that were true then and are true now, and then the one lesson Jesus has for those who want to be faithful disciples. First of all, three things about Jesus. We've seen it before, uh, but Jesus then and now, he teaches disciples. 
Uh, Jesus was a teacher. Uh, He knows God's plan because he is God's plan. And Jesus is regularly teaching his disciples. If you look at the beginning of the passage again, in verse 30, they're traveling from where they were on through Galilee. They're on the way in the section of Mark's gospel. All the time, they're on the way to Jerusalem. They're on the way where Jesus is going to give his life up in love where he's going to be handed over and delivered into the hands of men. They're on the way, and Jesus did not want people to know that they were traveling. Why? Because he wanted to focus in on his disciples and teach them. That's what he was like then, and I want you to know it's what he's like now. Do you know that Jesus, the Son of God who became a real human being, added our humanity to himself Do you know that he didn't just teach those disciples, but through those disciples and the gospels they wrote and all of the scriptures, Jesus, who is alive, will teach you. He wants to teach you. Jesus wants to take you and me to school again and again and again. And that might be a really important thing to think about during the first month of a new year. Because a lot of us are doing something that's really good. We have a read through the Bible in a year plan. And that is great. I want you to read the Bible as often as you can. That's wonderful. But reading three chapters in the Bible in one day, as good as that is, it's not the same thing as by faith sitting at Jesus' feet and saying, Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, Savior, Lord, please teach me. And that's the... That's the bigger practice, the better practice I want to recommend to you, whether you're reading one verse a day or three chapters a, a, a day or whatever the amount is, more than anything, more than the amount of scripture that you're reading when you are sitting in God's presence, and I want you to do that, sit in God's presence with his Bible open, I invite you to turn your heart to the teacher and say, Jesus, it's you that I want to disciple me. I want you to teach me who you are. I want you to teach me how to be your disciple. I want to learn from you. And Jesus was then and he is now a discipler. He'll teach you. You may be sitting there saying, yeah, but I'm never going to be an elder at Covenant Press. Jesus doesn't care. He'll teach you. You might be sitting there saying, yeah, but I haven't studied the way a lot of these Presbyterians have studied. Jesus does not, I assure you, Jesus doesn't care. He will teach you. You might be saying, you know what, I'm not a really important person. I, I hardly get in the door. I miss, I miss lots of Sundays. I have all kinds of struggles and strains. Jesus doesn't care. Jesus will teach you. And he invites you to come before him by faith. Jesus is a great teacher and he will teach you. If you want to hear the voice of Jesus, you open the word of God in the presence of the Lord by faith and say, Jesus, teach me. I want to be your disciple, teach me. And he'll do it because Jesus is a teacher. Second thing about Jesus is he draws us out. Did you notice uh, Jesus, oh, let me, sorry, back up verse 31. Look at the content of the teaching. Here's the thing that he really wanted them to understand. Jesus was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the son of man is gonna be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. Now, this is interesting. This is the second time Mark brings up this kind of teaching that Jesus is making it very clear. We're headed to Jerusalem. It's gonna be very bad for me. In chapter eight, he said, I'll be rejected. Here, he's like, I'm gonna be handed over. I'll be delivered into the hands of men. I'm going to be mistreated. I'm going to be killed. And then I'm going to rise again. And in the earlier time, in chapter 8, Mark says that he said it clearly. 
Here, it's very, very clear. And so there's a few things that if you spend time with Jesus and in his word that he's going to emphasize over and over and over again. And one of those is that the whole Bible rushes and centers on the person of Jesus Christ and the work that he does for those who believe in him. Jesus is the son of man who's worthy of dominion and glory and power, and he's going to inherit all things. And here's what he's saying in this passage. Yes, I am the, the son of man. I will inherit all things, all kingdoms, all dominion that's coming to me. But first, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be severely mistreated and I'm going to be put to death, but then I'm going to raise again. And the disciples didn't understand it. We'll get to the disciples in a minute, but they didn't understand. They, they, they were afraid. We'll talk about that more in a minute, but I want you to see that Jesus draws them out. In verse 33, they got to Capernaum where they were headed, maybe staying in Peter and Andrew's home. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? Now, do you think Jesus needed the information? Jesus is a good teacher, but I want you to see also Jesus will draw us out. Now, one of the, one of the main focus points for our church this year is we're trying to grow in the grace of prayer together. Today, I'm going to tell you something very clear about why I often avoid prayer, actually being in God's presence. Because I know God loves me and he's trying to, he's not trying, he's drawing me out. And sometimes I avoid God's presence in Bible reading and prayer because I don't want him to draw me out. You know, you can read three chapters of the, of the Bible and then pray your prayer list and actually avoid God's presence. But Jesus will draw you out. Is the fact that God is alive and he will draw you out, is that one of the reasons that you're avoiding God in prayer as well? Sometimes I'm avoiding God's presence as though my conscience is more clever than God and the feet of my heart are faster than God. Like I'm going to get away with that because if I don't let God pin me down on that thing about my, that's weighing on my conscience, if I don't acknowledge it in God's presence, I'm not actually accountable for my conscience. Unbelievably silly. And that leads to the third thing. Not only is Jesus a great teacher and not only will Jesus draw us out because he loves us. He, already, he knows everything that's hanging on to our conscience, everything that bothers us, everything that concerns us, he draws us out. But the third thing is he already knows. You see that, right? Jesus says, hey, what were you talking about on the way? And they, had, they got really quiet because he's exposing what we'll see in just a minute, what's always true about disciples, that we want to be the most important. But before we get to that part about what's true of them and us as disciples, just note this. Jesus is a great teacher. Jesus will draw us out and Jesus already knows. He already knows our loves are disordered. He already knows that our priorities are out of whack. He already knows the things that are weighing our hearts down, the things that are causing us deep suffering. He knows the things that are on our conscience. He already paid for them in his death for us on the cross. When Jesus invites us to come before him in the word and in prayer, he's inviting us to talk to him about things he already knows. The fact that he already knows is not a stiff arm to intimacy with Jesus. It's an invitation to come and process in his presence the things that he already knows. He doesn't need you to process that. You do. 
We need to process what's on our conscience and what's in our hearts and the things that we're suffering and the things that we're worried about. We need to process it in the presence of the good king who loves us. And the fact that he already knows in no way should that keep us out of his presence, but that's a warm invitation to come to him. There's nothing you can hide from him. You can go to the highest place. He's already there. You can go to the lowest place. He's already there. There's no place to avoid him. He already knows. And so we might as well go and run into his presence by faith and process what's worrying us uh, in his very presence. But that leads us to the truth about disciples, three things about disciples. One thing that's true of me and the disciples then and disciples now is we want the benefits that Jesus has for us. But at the end of the day, I really want to keep control of my own life. Thank you. I want to be in charge of my life. I want to be in charge of my priorities. And I'm happy for some Jesus paprika to come and flavor my life a little bit. I'd like him to salt my life. I'd like him to bless my life. I'd like to keep my priorities. I'd like for Jesus to support me in my hopes and dreams and priorities. Thank you. But look about, look at the disciples. Number one, the disciples, they didn't understand. Number two, they were afraid to ask Jesus. And number three, they got into an argument. Isn't it weird? The Bible is such an ancient book. So hard to relate to. The disciples didn't understand. They were afraid to talk to God openly about it, talk to the Lord openly about it. And they got in an argument over who was the most important. That seems so weird, doesn't it? So alien to the human heart. Do you ever feel like you live on the corner of misunderstanding and fear? That was all the disciples. But I want you to know these three things are not random. They're related. They didn't understand his word. They were afraid to ask him about it because of what was driving their argument. What they really wanted was to be the most important. What they really wanted was to be first, the most significant, have the highest status. And if you want to be first, the most significant, have the highest status, you're not going to understand what Jesus has to teach us today. And your heart's going to be controlled by fears because if you're holding your life together and your agenda of your own importance like mine is the most important thing to you, then you have everything to lose in every situation. If you're holding your comfort and your honor and your dignity and your status with your own hands, then you're going to be a fearful person because you know it's like grasping after the wind. Who can keep all that together? So if that's your highest priority, you're going to not understand what Jesus is saying, and you're going to be confused. You're going to have all kinds of fears controlling your heart and your mind because of the things that disciples then and now fight about. Who's the most important? Who gets to be in charge? Who gets to lead? Who's the most significant? Who gets the most honor? Who gets the most dignity? And that's true of them, and it's true of us. That leads us to this one lesson that Jesus has for us in his one illustration. Verse 35, just show you one more time that Jesus is a teacher. Verse 35, and Jesus sat down and called the 12 and he said to them, if anyone would be first, 
He must be last of all and servant of all. See, even that posture in the ancient world, if you were to teach, you wouldn't get behind a pulpit, you would get and sit. The teacher sat down and called his disciples around him. So Jesus is taking the posture of a servant. He understands what they just were debating. Who is the greatest? So he sits down, he calls them around and says, I'll solve it for you. I'll teach you how to be first in the kingdom of God. Are you ready? You've got to be last of all. And you've got to be servant of all. It's no wonder they were having a hard time understanding. And their fears were bubbling to the surface. So not everyone in this room has met my friend and mentor, Joe Novenson. But if you've met him, many of you would say, oh yeah, the most humble man I've ever met. And not all of you know that, but I'll I'll tell you, Joe Novenson's the most humble man I've ever met. And uh, he had an experience uh, in India one time that overlaps this passage. So I called him this week. He's like, hey, Joe, tell me, that, tell me that story again about you and that Pastor Chanda. So he repeated the story for me verbatim, word for word. He remembers it because it's one of the ways that King Jesus granted him true humility, though he would not admit that that's true of him. So here's what happened. Uh, Joe was with an Indian pastor in India uh, 30 years ago. The pastor's name was P.T. Chandapilla. I'll just call him Chanda from here on out. And uh, Joe is with Chanda and he's going around and he's meeting lots of pastors and uh, seeing lots of churches that are growing and struggling and trying to understand you know, how to pray and care for the church in India. And it was blazing hot. Uh, it was the middle of their summer. He was one of the hottest parts of India and it had been hot, hot, hot all, all day. And they went to bed and they're sleeping on thick, rough army cots from like the 1940s that are very uncomfortable and it's still blazing hot and uh, Joe is sleeping on a cot and Chanda is on one side and his son Matt who was 14 is on the other side and they're laying there uh, and they're all trying to sleep except for Chanda who wants to spend time with Jesus so he's sitting up and he's got his Bible in front of him and he's got a lamp on so he can read the scriptures and it's in the middle of the summer in the middle of the night and the lamp's on so bugs are swarming from all over the place right there to Chanda, but Joe is next to him. And so Joe is tired and hot and over it and he doesn't have any bug repellent, but you might know this about Joe, he's got pre- pretty thick wavy hair, so he had some hairspray. So he picked up his hairspray bottle and began to use it as bug repellent. So he's... Spraying hairspray to keep the bugs at bay, and Chanda's had enough. So Chanda, lying on his cot, uh, says, "Please turn to Second Corinthians four or five. That's all he says. Joe turns there and reads Second Corinthians four verse five. For we do not proclaim ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your slaves, for Jesus' sake." Chanda asks, do you preach Jesus Christ as Lord? Joe, I try. Keep trying, says Chanda. Chanda asks, do you preach yourself as a slave? Joe said, no. I don't think I know what that means. Chanda says, you're right. You're an American. You'll lead anyone. You'll serve no one. Then it's got really quiet. Chanda said, what is a slave? Joe said, a slave is someone who does what he's told. Now Chanda is yelling. He yells, no, that's an employee. A slave is someone who will do what no one else will. And then he went on to uh, 
schooled Joe a little bit more in Jesus' school of discipleship. And he says this to Joe in the middle of the night, you come from an information culture. You think you've done it when you've read it and taught it. And especially if you've been asked to speak about it and people walk away with a notebook and they pay $350, then you really think you've mastered it. And finally, Matt rolls over to his dad and says, he's killing you, isn't he, dad? I was like, yes, he's, he's killing me. I remembered that story. So having this passage, I called Joe and said, hey, man, remind me how that story with Chanda goes. And I the first time I heard it, the second time I heard it, and even this week, it kind of bothered me. It's a little offensive. Joe's my mentor. He's one of the most humble men I knew. And I was like, come on, Chanda, get off him. And then I read the passage again. And then I remembered that it was on the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus' glory is bursting forth. And everyone can see it. He is glorious. This is the son of God. This is the son of man. He deserves glory and honor. And they come, and, but on the mountain, the, remember, uh, the heavenly voice comes down and says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Jesus is a teacher and the father wants us to listen to his voice. Do you want to be great in the kingdoms that we build for ourselves? We know how to do that. We've been trained for that our whole lives. Do you want to be first and great in the kingdom of God? Jesus says, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And then here's the one illustration Jesus gives us. And so he, he's telling them that and he knows they don't get it. So it's like, I'm gonna give you a word picture. So remember, he's in the middle and there's a child out on the side. And here's how this illustration works. In the first century in the ancient world, children had very, very low status. We ask children sometimes, what do you want for lunch? They were never asked in the first century, what do you want for lunch? Sometimes we ask kids, what do you want to do today? No one ever asked kids that in the first century. They had very low status. So Jesus takes a child, someone with very low status and brings them into the middle. And then here's the word picture. He takes him into his arms. And then he says, Whoever receives a little child like this in my name receives me. What does he mean? I'm always with people of low status. If you welcome people of low status into the center, if you take them into your arms, you're receiving me because that's who I'm with. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he abides with people who are with deep humility, people with very low status. And when we receive them and we show hospitality to people who can't pay us back, when we serve those who can't pay us back in any sense, in the name of Jesus, Jesus is like, that's how you show hospitality and serve me because I dwell with the lowly. My address is understanding and fear. Jesus' address is he's the son, the son of God, but he dwells with the humble and the lowly and those who know that they need him. This week, you helped me. We did this all as a church together this week. This week, we hosted uh, the Foundry staff on Wednesday, and we hosted the Love Lady staff on Friday. And as a church, we did this. We received people because a lot of the staffs of both those groups, the Foundry and Love Lady, are people who were rescued from the deep bondage of addiction. 
just pulled out of it by the grace of God. And uh, when they were here and we were serving them food and uh, creating space for them to have their meetings and blessing them with God's word, uh, they kept saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. They were so filled with gratitude. They were so glad to be here to be taken care of because they see themselves as people who need Jesus. They see themselves as desperate without him. They've learned a very, very important lesson. Jesus is the truth. He can teach us God's plan because he is God's plan. Look at the very last verse. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. You can have fellowship with the Son and the Father, but think about that. Remember what Jesus said earlier up in the, in the verse? He said, the Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of men. Don't you see who ultimately is the one who delivers the son into the hands of men? It's the father himself. The father loved you and sent his son for you. Uh, The one who delivers Jesus into the hands of men who will kill him is the father himself who in love sent the son to take your place. Look at that status reversal. It's meant to help us choose low status for ourselves. The eternal son of God came out of heaven and became a, added our humanity to himself, took a very low status. And not only was he born into a poor family, and he was, and not only did he grow up in Hickville, and he did, and not only did he say, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. And he did. At the end of his low status was when he took our place on the cross because the father sent him. In love, the father sent him to take our place and he took our place on the cross. And not only was he our substitute for our sin, but he took all of our debts upon himself. He lowered himself to the point of death, even the point of death on the cross and was shackled with your debts in my debt so that we could be completely forgiven. He who was the highest took the lowest place that we might be reconciled in him, receive him and the father along with him. Those who believe this have new motivation and power to seek low places because we want to be first in the kingdom of God. We must be last and the servant of all. Let's pray and meet this king at his table. Oh, Lord Jesus, how thankful we are that you came in love for us. Father, thank you for sending the son for us. Spirit, we pray now that we, with your help by faith, would feast on the son, receiving his promised grace as he offers himself to us in the bread and the cup. In Jesus' name, amen.